This is Dan Fagella, and you're listening to AI in Industry. When we work with clients, often we have to map the entire AI landscape in their particular sector. We maintain AI opportunity landscapes in large sectors like insurance and pharmaceuticals and banking and retail and have to be abreast of a number of companies and the competitive use cases across the enterprise. And marketing comes up time and time again. It's interesting for us to see how marketing changes from insurance to where the emphasis is for marketing when it comes to retail, to how that changes again when we look at applications in, let's say, manufacturing. This week, we see a use case of artificial intelligence for marketing that's actually rather novel, one that shows up very infrequently across our various opportunity landscapes with our clients, and that is basically AI for copywriting. Can artificial intelligence write a better email subject line or a better social media post than a human being? The answer sometimes is yes. We interview this week Perry Mom, who is the CEO of Phrasey. Phrasey's a firm that got its start with optimizing email subject lines with artificial intelligence, and they're growing from there. Perry speaks with us this week about what AI can do in that space, what its limitations are, and where it might take us in the relatively near future. If you have an interest in our broader opportunity landscapes and particular sectors here at Emerge, you can reach us at emerj.com slash AIOL. That's AI Opportunity Landscape. And you can see a two-minute video that summarizes how we visually map the ROI and the ease of deployment of artificial intelligence across sectors. You can check that out at emerj.com slash AIOL. Without further ado, we'll fly into our fourth episode in this series on artificial intelligence for retail and e-commerce. This is with Perry Malma Frazee here on AI and Industry. So Perry, where we'll start things off is just around your perspective on where AI is impacting retail today. If we just kind of freeze time, we look at where the money's going, where the difference is making uh, in, in AI and retail, where do you see that today? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And there's no there's no one correct answer for it. I mean, if you look at websites of vendors who are selling into retailers, then you would get the impression that AI is being used everywhere. Yeah. If you were to if you were to read articles written by quote experts, then you would think that AI is being used to destroy every job on the planet and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. But actually, where AI is being used is in very narrow but very impactful areas. So things like product recommendations, you know, uh, similar to what you know Netflix does when you watch a show and it recommends similar shows. Like that's that's a very well researched and widespread application of AI. Um, but that's kind of boring stuff because there's like 101 companies who do it, and everybody is sort of doing some form of recommendations. There's nothing really sexy about that. The sort of cool stuff which is being done now, and you know, I'm biased when I say this, it's exactly what Frazy does, but is using AI to improve the language which is used in the marketing comms. And I think this is a huge opportunity for companies in the retail sector. Yeah. Uh, and it's obviously one kind of particular niche. Do you kind of count that inside of the bigger umbrella of recommendations, uh, Parry? Or how do you kind of consider the copy optimization AI ballgame? Yeah, it's totally separate. It's a category which doesn't exist yet because we're pretty much like the only company in the world who has a true actual AI solution that writes copy like a human does. Well, it's, it's like um, you, so you guys in Persado, right? More or less. Yeah, 
I, the category's I, got a couple it, players. It's small. It's real, yeah, real it, small, real small compared to logistics. Real small compared to recommendations. I mean, it's minuscule at this point. But uh, but there are some other players in the game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, like like I mean, I think you know I could go on chapter and verse about the differentiated points, but between the two companies, but that's for a for a different yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is not a vendor pitch podcast, unfortunately. So we won't be, we won't be, we won't be doing a goddamn lick of that. I'll tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> that's so, cool, man. So anyway. For you, kind of copy optimization is part of the mix as well. You mentioned recommendations kind of being being part of things too, and you see this as kind of a separate shebang. When it comes to maybe who can use the copy side, obviously this is what you're familiar with because you guys do it for a living, and it's an interesting quadrant of retail and AI. When we just pause things and look at today, Parry, kind of where is this coming in most handy? Is it e-com where we can really quickly measure the value of the change in words? Is it you know, more B2B lead gen stuff. It's probably a little bit of everything, but where's really the most traction? You know, where, where can we really see this stuff uh, starting to get some roots? Yeah. So, so for us, I mean, the um, key markets, which we've penetrated are things like retail slash e-commerce, travel and hospitality, banking and insurance. Basically like the whole concept is basically this. You think about a B2C brand 15, 20 years ago, and the amount of advertising which they had to do is relatively limited. I mean, Facebook didn't exist. Twitter didn't exist. Google ads were in their infancy. So they didn't need much copy. So they could still have a bunch of human copywriters service their needs very, very effectively. But now the amount of content and copy which you need to service this like proliferation of demand for copy is simply not scalable with humans because there's not enough talented, qualified humans out there to actually service the needs of the modern marketing landscape. So basically, we find that brands who have a huge amount of online comms across any channel benefit the most from AI-powered copywriting. Okay, so they have the, the greatest demand across the greatest number of kind of media types? Is that where you're saying? Exactly. Okay, exactly. okay. So, got it, got it. So, so like the way things work back in the day is you would have a sort of, you know, Don Draper type who would go, you know, here's our, our strap line and let's execute this everywhere. But that doesn't work because there's so many more places where it needs to be executed and the messages need to be tailored by channel. So like Don Draper was a soldier. What you need these days is an army and those armies you cannot simply conscript because there's not enough talented humans out there to service this need. Yeah, yeah. So, well, for for some brands, I suspect that that that's the case, as you're saying. Maybe, maybe for other brands, it is viable to have humans, but it, for some, maybe less so. If we think about examples, there, folks that are they have to be on so many channels across so many media and touch points in different weird and wacky ways. I guess you know what comes immediately to mind is like CPG type stuff and like more consumer ecom. I'm not saying that we need to limit it to that, but if we're really honest about sort of where the greatest traction is. Is it like the Tides or, you know, like a brand of that sort or, you know, Wrigley's Gum or other kinds of like consumer things where we see this greatest need for Twitter, Facebook, you know, all these different kinds of wacky media or, or what are some, I guess, representative examples? You don't have to name clients, but, but just, just so we can imagine what you're saying. Totally. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, we um, work with the likes of like eBay, Groupon, Domino's, basically um, brands who Domino's, do a, yeah. Okay. Yeah, brands who do a lot of online marketing who are ostensibly selling stuff via online channels. Okay. Got it. So, and Domino's is a nice example of like kind of the every man's we need to be everywhere kind of thing. It's like, who's Domino's market? 
I don't know. I, it's me when I get hungry enough, you know what I mean? And there's nothing in the fridge. So a little bit of a wider kind of spray that they need to be able to potentially keep up there. And when it comes to what's possible for copy generation, I think maybe we would all hope that our full-blown squeeze page could just be written by AI and then the ads that drive the traffic to it could be written by AI and somebody could just be sipping martinis in the corner. Of course, we're not quite there yet. When it comes to realistically sort of what the AI can manage well today, and we'll talk a bit about the future in a sec here, Perry, but if we're, if we're really frank and honest about the limitations and the possibilities of the technology today, what kind of copy is writable and what kind of human oversight sort of plays a role in, in double-checking some of that stuff in terms of where you're starting to see this take off. Yeah, totally. And and there are real limitations to what like the state of the art can actually do. Where Phrasey is 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 best suited and where the state of the art is is the short, punchy, direct response copy. Like the yeah. stuff which, you know, has linguistic patterns which the machine can then find and optimize. The sort of longer form more sort of mellifluous stuff is still best left with humans. And to be honest, we are like not just Frazy, but the actual state-of-the-art research out of academia and whatnot are still a couple of real sort of technical innovations away from it even being conceptually possible. Yeah, you know, when when uh, so I, I really appreciate you being frank about that. I mean, not not all vendors are going to say it like it is, but that's kind of what we demand here on the show. So glad to hear it. And, you know, when we look at the folks that write articles, for example, so you have your, you know, your quill type products, and there's a couple other players in that space. Again, it has to be like really, really, really formulaic for that kind of thing to work. What you're saying is that if there's linguistic patterns, it's short and punchy, we need to create a lot of permutations, a machine can kind of, you know, find those synonyms, find those other representative patterns, find something with potentially similar meaning, create a lot of permutations. Um, and it seems like the value there would be in potentially split testing those to some degree. It feels like that's kind of part of it. Like if we're Domino's and we're trying to reel in past customers to get them, you know, back for this special two for one pizza deal on Wednesday, um, we might just want to say that in a hundred ways, but not pay somebody to sit in a corner and think of them. When do we need to really proliferate that many messages? Yeah. So, so like, I mean, we could easily click a button and generate millions and millions of ways of saying the same thing. And that's, you know, it certainly piques intellectual curiosity, but practically speaking, it's not very useful. Um, what you actually want is a small amount of language that performs strongly. So yeah, we absolutely do have our customers do a bunch of split testing with, you know, a relatively small number of bits of language, but the split testing is not it's done for two reasons. Reason number one is to find which one does the best and so they can get that immediate impact on the bottom line. But number two, the data is then fed back into our neural nets. Um, and that's the real key point so that the, the, the system has real live in the wild data that it can then learn from, spot those patterns, and continuously and progressively optimize the uh, language which it generates. Got it. And obviously, I guess the challenge for you guys is what is the data we feed back into it? Is it clicks, likes, engagement? Is it leads on the page? In which case, you've got to have some analytics set that hops into somebody's page and you know figures out if they fill out a web form. Or even harder, maybe you've got to figure out if they process their credit card. So somebody's got to give you access to like a payment system or something. What kind of loops here in terms of data are realistic for most clients to be able to pull back into your system to optimize on? Is, is payments part of the mix or is that often harder and kind of engagement is, is really the way to play the game? 
Yeah, it it depends on the channel and then the the customer's attribution models. I mean, uh, I think attributing stuff is a bit of a dark art at the best of times. It is. Um, it so, is. So we we generally recommend um, to focus on proxy metrics, which have these sort of long run correlations down funnel. So like, you know, if you're optimizing a subject line for an email campaign, then obviously open rate is the one that makes the most sense. But then if we're doing, say, like the um, banner copy inside the email itself, then you would focus on click rate because that's obviously the most directly impacted KPI, and it's going to be a proxy metric. If more people open and more people click, more people are going to buy, right? Yeah. Um, with Facebook, with Facebook, it's it's slightly different. Um, some customers want to focus on minimizing cost per lead. Some customers want to focus on minimizing cost per click, maximizing reach. You know, it's basically up to the customer to pick what they want to focus on, and then we can steer the machine towards that KPI. Cool. And I, I think for, for those folks who are listening in, this is this is really writer downer type stuff. What what Perry's mentioning here, I only see in the next five years, Perry, more and more people coming to understand what you're just articulating as being the new par for the course for how we take all these proliferated messages and try to find the signal in the noise. Uh, because as you're saying, it's tough to directly attribute. We might just want to find those longer term patterns. So I think that's super useful uh, to bear in mind. So, okay. So short, punchy, kind of direct response, stuff that we can, again, measure. Generally speaking for you, Parry, is this primarily social at this point? Again, we'll talk about the future, and I'm sure when you stretch your vision out, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting places where this permutated copy is going to come in. But we look at today, we freeze time. Are we looking at mostly social? Are we looking at you know 25% email? Are we looking at some stuff on landing pages, or is it kind of none at this point? Where do these permutations of copy find their way in? Where are you finding this stuff uh, fitting into marketing mix? Yeah, so so when we started Frazy in 2015, we were laser focused on email subject lines, and that's our sort of core business. As our business has sort of matured and the product has expanded and whatnot, we now um, you know do a bunch of stuff across you know push, SMS, Facebook and Instagram ads, Google AdWords stuff, stuff like that. But the reason why you know we always encourage customers to start working like to start their Frazy journey with us, starting on emails subject lines and the reason uh, is is quite a sound reason actually it's because it's pretty much the only type of marketing that you can isolate language as the causal variable because all you can see when you get an email is who it's from yeah. and the subject line yeah. itself yeah, right yeah. and so with that we get really clean data and we can build a super a super effective model based upon that data and then we we use that we use that model to uh, extrapolate out into Facebook ads and stuff like that got it yeah okay cool and you're right i mean cuz in facebook ads a lot of your variance is going to be on your image. And I know that there are some companies, most of the ones I've seen are very nascent at this phase, but companies who are looking to kind of AI generate or, or AI test imagery for social ads and whatnot as well. But it's more variables. So it's, it's interesting that you started with email so that you could really, it sounds like you did that so that you could just completely narrow in on a string of text generating a response. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 once, and once you get that data and we've got, you know, like lots and lots of, of data now, um, you can do some really, really effective AI techniques to predict what language is going to work um, with a higher hit rate than any human on the planet. Yeah, I think, I mean, with without doubt, now I personally don't know when that time horizon is, but without a doubt that will be, I think, par for the course norm at some point. Humans writing 
you know, like a baseline headline for whether it's like LinkedIn's automated messages or stop and shop or whatever, I, I think is, they're going to have a hard time competing with AI that can drink in all that data. Maybe now, Parry, we can talk about the future. So when you look ahead and get a sense of where this kind of uh, programmatically generated copy, for lack of better terms, Parry, where you see that fitting in an even broader sense, even different parts of marketing than it's fitting in today, where do you see those paradigms shifting? Where do you see that technology finding a home, finding an ROI when we look five, 10 years ahead? Yeah, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a really tough question. And one, one thing I've learned in the five years of growing crazy from like a tiny problem to a big business is that predicting the future uh, means that you're going to be wrong mostly. Oh, yeah. um, so what, what I can say is like, there's been a lot of hoopla lately about these huge language models. So the big one was called GPT-2, which OpenAI put out about six months ago or something. And, and like, it, it was all like dangerous AI is going to write fake news and blah, blah, blah. And it was such dangerous technology. They wouldn't put it out to the public. Well, they're very, very good at PR. Um, and that PR strategy was concocted by a human because the technology itself is not actually commercializable. Like the um, problem with technologies like that is it can produce a huge amount of coherent text. And that in itself is a very impressive feat, but it's unconstrained, right? And so for use in a commercial application, that's an, an incredible hindrance because yeah, what you yeah. need is you need text generated, which uh, falls within constraints, constraints of corporate governance, constraints of your brand voice, constraints of your business model. So I think we are light years away from clicking a button and then your entire landing page is written, your website is yeah, written, your yeah. like, Agreed. like, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so for us, specifically, what we're focusing on is really uh, doubling down on what we call the phrasey formula. And this is the methodology with which we take the learnings from e email subject lines and extrapolate them out to, to various more channels. And we've got a bunch of channels online now. What we're focusing on is working out what the next channel is, which people are really going to gain real benefit from doing that. Huh. Um, Okay, so for you, you're, you, it's not even like, oh, Dan, hey, I think it's going to roll out in these phases. For you, it's like, Dan, it's really hard, and we're going to kind of see where this stuff can be extrapolated for a return, and we got to feel that out in real time because this is a tough problem. It sounds like that's as close to a crystal ball as we really have in this, uh, this very complicated space. Well, and and you're absolutely right. It is a tough problem, and there are, and 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 as you mentioned at the top, is that there are only two companies in this category right now. Now, it's not because it's not a valuable category. It's because it's a really bloody hard problem. Yeah. Um, probably a bunch more people have tried, and they've probably failed. Um, yeah. Which it's good and bad. You know, I would love it if there were suddenly you know ten players, and we had a magic quadrant and a wave and all this other. Yeah, that helps you right? out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I mean, you know, being in a market duopoly isn't necessarily bad either. It's not really actually our main competition, believe it or not, is not other vendors in the marketplace. Our main competition is the status quo and human inertia. With very few exceptions, Perry, that is the state of the bulk of AI use cases, uh, even if there are 10 players in the space. But, but yes, there are areas in marketing, for example, in retail, where things are a bit more, not commoditized yet, but more common. Like, you know, product recommendation is, I'm not going to say it's a solved problem, but compared to copywriting, the methodologies that could lead to an ROI and how we measure that seem much more thoroughly fleshed out. 
than actual language, which as you've said is a you know a bloody hard problem to rip your your British phrase there. Anything else that maybe we didn't cover here, Perry? I'm thinking as we kind of close out in terms of where this kind of automated copy is going to potentially find a home. Do you see a world in five years where a good bulk of the promoted tweets from brands like a Domino's, like an eBay, like a whoever we want to say, are AI generated? Or is that maybe too aggressive for the pace of of technology? Or is it just too damn hard to say altogether? Well, I think you will find more and more copy is going to be generated by machines like Phrases moving forward. But I think it's important to not view it as a zero-sum proposition. You know, there, there's going to be some times where it's going to be easier for humans just to write it. There's going to be times where it's not going to be a pattern-based thing and therefore a human should write it. And there's there's going to be times where machines just won't get it right and humans will do it better. Yep. But Conversely, there will be times when machines are much more effective than humans and and will have a real bottom line impact. So I think, you know, what the future holds is companies will not sort of go, should we use a human or should we use a machine? Instead, they'll say we need to use a human and we need a machine also. Yeah, yeah. Very much. So anybody who who didn't already have that idea in their mind was was uh, kind of misinformed. I think you're totally right. I think we're going to find the fit for the machines with the people. And it'll be neat to see how that rolls out, Perry. As you'd said, it's kind of early days, but it's cool to see the traction as it stands today. So I know that's all we had for time, but I sincerely appreciate you hopping on here and sharing your ideas on AI and industry. Right on, bud. You take it easy. So that's all for this episode of AI and Industry. Be sure to stay tuned next week as we maintain our theme here on artificial intelligence for retail and e-commerce. And we'll be talking a little bit about the future of personalization and context for the user. How can we make advertisements and call to actions more relevant for the user where they are and when they are beyond what's possible with AI today? What does that look like years from now and how are we moving closer That's what we cover next time. So be sure to stay tuned, and I'll catch you in the next episode of AI and Industry.